2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 14, and we're going to focus on verse 18 in the sermon. Give ear to the reading of God's holy word. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Uh, there are uh, there are some uh, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, uh, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, every every year around the end of December, as January 1st rolls around, uh, a lot of us often make New Year's resolutions, uh, we do that, I think, I hope, because we want to be, have, uh, to do better in the coming year. We want to be better people in the coming year ahead. And that's a good thing. You know, sometimes I, I, I think we Christians tend to poo-poo the idea of making resolutions as if it were a bad thing, as if that were a legalistic thing. I think it's, it's commendable, uh, to, to someone to examine their life, to admit that there's areas of your life that need, uh, some improvement. And then to take steps toward achieving that goal, we should all be, especially Christians, be willing to do just that. You know, Martin Luther said in his 99, uh, 95 theses, he said that the very first one was that when our Lord and Master said repent, or commanded us to repent, he says that he was willing, that it was his will in saying that, that the entirety of the Christian life be, be one of repentance. So repentance isn't something you just do when you first come to Christ. If you're a Christian, you're going to spend the rest of your life in this life repenting of sin until God calls you home and brings you to to glory. Now, one of the most common resolutions people often make often involves a change of diet and a renewed commitment to exercise, things like that. Sometimes people make that resolution every year, especially after spending the last month eating big meals and holidays. Um, and, you know, that's okay. It's better to, to try and fail than to not try at all. We shouldn't give anybody a hard time. Nobody should give you a hard time if that's you. At least you're trying. Uh, but the Word of God urges us to seek after not just physical health, as important as that is, not just physical well-being, as important as that is, but also to to focus on our spiritual health, our spiritual well-being as well. In 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, rather train yourselves, the word there is, Literally, exercise. We get the word gym, gymnasium from it. Train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, literally it's of little value, he says, some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, I don't want to discourage anybody from seeking to get into better shape. Nothing wrong with that. But, but I think the point there is, don't spend more time trying to work on your physical health, your physical fitness, than you do on your spiritual health. In fact, if you're going to pick one or the other, the latter is far more important, although don't neglect the former as well. Because what does Paul say there? The latter, your spiritual health, godliness, is far more important and it's far more beneficial. 
how does he say there? As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so godliness isn't just about later. There's blessings that God gives in light of that, even in this present life, as well as the life that is to come. Now, our text this morning, we're going to look at verse 18 in particular. Our text this morning is both a closing benediction of the letter, and it's also a closing exhortation to his readers, which includes us this morning. And so I think it's fitting for us to heed the Apostle Peter's words here in our text as we close out this year, 2020, and look forward to the new year ahead. For here, what does the Apostle Peter do? He encourages you and I to look back on the year and God's work of of his free grace in our lives in the past year. And he also, I think maybe even more importantly, encourages us to look forward to the year to come with a clear vision or goal of what we would have and seek to do in the new year to come and growing in God's grace. And simply put, that's that's the command here in our text. That's the encouragement in our text. The scriptures here are encouraging and exhorting us to grow in the grace of God. And may the Holy Spirit be pleased to work in us, again, what's pleasing in his sight, that he might work in us, as Paul says, both to will and to work for his good pleasure in Philippians 2.13. May he do that, that we might indeed grow in grace in this coming year and always. Now we're going to look, at Lord willing, at three things from our text Every sermon's supposed to have three points, and this one is no exception. We're going to see three things from verse 18 primarily this morning. The first thing is the duty of growth in grace. The duty of growth in grace. The second one, the second thing we're going to see, Lord willing, is the direction. The direction of growth in grace. And lastly, but not least, the doxology of growth in grace. So the duty, the direction, and the doxology of growth in grace. So the first thing is the duty of growth in grace. What does Peter say in verse 18? He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now the, uh, in scripture, that word that Paul, that, that Peter rather uses for grow and other writers do as well, uh, the analogy most often used with this word is one of plants growing or a seed being planted and growing uh, elsewhere. It also talks about the word of God growing in the book of Acts. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about, you know, I planted Apollos water, but God does what? God gives the increase or the growth. So the Bible uses, the New Testament in particular, uses this word quite a lot in, in examples and analogies of the gospel. And that word grow there in the text, we're going to get grammatical here this morning, is a present tense imperative. What's an imperative? It's a command. It's something we are told and encouraged to do. And so it's a command. It means that it's our duty as Christians to follow and obey this command. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It's not also, you know, sometimes we, we read texts like this and we sometimes think without really saying the words, well, this is for like really committed Christians. You know, there's, there's regular Christians and then there's the really committed ones. This is really for them. That's not what, what Peter's saying at all. He's writing to the whole church and he's saying, grow in grace. It's what every Christian ought to make it our aim to do. And not just that, but it's a present tense imperative. It's a present tense imperative, which just means it's an ongoing duty. It's as if Peter were saying, be growing in grace. It's not something that you can check off the list after a short time of, of doing something. You know, we, we all like to check the box and move on. Well, this isn't one of those kind of things. This is one of those always things that we always are in need of doing. It's an ongoing duty and need for us to grow in grace. 
Again, it's as if Peter said, be growing in grace. Now, again, it's, it's not just something that should concern you and I as Christians for a time. It's not just something you need at the beginning of your life. As sometimes I think we're tempted to think, we need to grow a certain amount, we need to know, know the Word of God a certain amount, and then we're kind of done. And then we just kind of coast the rest of our Christian life. That's not what the Bible teaches. It certainly isn't what Peter is encouraging us to do. This is not just something for during your formative years of your Christian faith and life. You know, the Christian life is in a lot of ways not unlike our earthly lives. As human beings, we start out as infants, and over time we grow more and more in maturity and stature. And the same thing can be said of our spiritual growth to maturity, or the way that it should be. In his book, The Wonderful Works of God, Herman Bovink, the great Dutch theologian, says this, Man is in his spiritual as well as his natural life born as a small and weak and needy creature, and he must gradually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He cites our text, 2 Peter 3.18. If the spiritual life develops healthily and normally, if it feeds on spiritual nourishment and drinks of the spiritual drink, which is Christ, citing John 6.48, a continuous growing in grace, an establishment in it, and a progressive renewal according to the image of Christ takes place. So it, just as the scripture does uh, here, uh, he, he actually mentions that you know your, your development and growth in the faith, no matter how old you were when you came to Christ, is in a lot of ways the same as it is physically. You start off as a baby, you don't know much, you're helpless, you're dependent upon other people, and you slowly grow over time more and more like Christ. But sometimes we don't really follow that same pattern of growth in our spiritual lives, do we? We don't, you know, our pattern isn't the same as our physical growth at times. Our spiritual growth sometimes isn't just this upward arc where we grow and grow. In fact, the Apostle Paul gave quite a rebuke to some in the church about this lack of growth and maturity in the faith. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 4, listen to what Paul says. Imagine being in the church, getting this letter, and hearing this part of the letter. You know, the old saying, if the shoe fits. That's kind of what he's saying. You know, Paul has, you know, these letters would, would be read to the whole congregation. This wasn't just for the elders of the church in their own private little meeting. It was for the whole church to hear. He says, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 4, Paul writes, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Imagine hearing that. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He doesn't say you aren't Christians. But he says at that church, because of the divisions and pride and whatnot, he's saying, I had to address you like baby talk. I had to crouch down like a, like a, da- a dad or a mom does to their little two-year-old and explain things really slowly and carefully. He says, I had, I had to... Uh, what does he say there? Sorry. Uh, as people of flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human or fleshly? Now imagine hearing that. The, the Paul party in Corinth is probably saying, whoa, we had your back, Paul. We were those who followed Paul, unlike those other guys who followed Apollos. And Paul says, you're acting like babies. If you're, if you're, if you're, you know, sticking up for me, if you're of the Paul party or the Apollos party, you've missed the point. You're to be of the Christ party. 
and not be divided in the church. And similarly, it's not the only time in the Bible we read such a thing. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 5, 12 to 14, it says very similarly, it says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So more than once in the New Testament letters, we find the writers, Paul and whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, some think it's Paul actually, but we don't know for sure. It doesn't say. Actually, in a, in a fatherly way, gently but firmly rebuking certain people in the church and saying, you're, you're still kind of in the infant stage in your faith and you should be further along. You should have grown in the grace of God that you can handle things and not just be fed with, with milk as a, as a small child. And so, although it is the work of God's grace in us for a number of reasons, this growth in grace in some ways is not just automatic in our lives. Everybody's growth in grace does not look the same, and that's, that's okay. Just as length of days in this life does not guarantee a steady growth in maturity, even so simple length of days in the faith does not guarantee growth in grace and spiritual maturity necessarily. So if you're a believer in Christ, our text would encourage you and exhort you to make it your aim, your purposeful aim to grow in the grace of God, that you might not have your diet in the faith be restricted to milk alone, but the solid food of God's word. That should be our goal, to be able to be fed with the solid food of the word of God. Now, now don't let the fact that it's growth in grace that Peter speaks of here fool you into thinking that growth of this kind shouldn't take any effort on your part. I think that's an easy thing to fall in, an easy error to fall into. Well, if it's grace, it should just happen. If it's a gift of God, it should just be easy and require no effort on my part whatsoever. And if, if you think that, pick a book in the New Testament and read it again. Just pick, doesn't have to be Second Peter. Uh, very often we are encouraged to make every effort in these things. Um, effort is not the same as merit. Effort does not mean you're earning anything. Far, far from it. Hard work does not mean that grace is somehow missing. In any way, it's only the grace of God that makes any of our effort effective in the first place. And God's grace both precludes our merit, it prevents any idea of merit on our part, and it also motivates us properly toward the growth in grace and maturity in Christ that we are called to go toward in our lives as well. Well, I'd like to look at the second thing. The second thing is the direction, the direction of growth in grace. It's not just our duty, but Paul, Peter also gives us the direction of growth and grace in our text. He says, but grow, and how do you grow? In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're commanded and exhorted to grow, but what kind of growth are we encouraged to in this text? The grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first thing that you see here is that true Christian growth is growth in grace. True Christian growth is growth in grace, in the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, the very fact that we are to grow in grace, uh, we've already said, precludes, it rules out merit. It rules out us earning anything, but just as we are saved by grace alone at the beginning of your Christian life, 
Even so, you grow and make progress in the Christian life and faith by grace alone as well. Justification is by the grace of God alone in Jesus Christ, by faith alone. And guess what? So is sanctification. Your, your, your efforts at growing in the faith and in trying to obey God more and more and be conformed to the image of, of God, image of Christ, by the grace of God, that too is by grace. It's a, it's a gift of God's grace. Sanctification, you growing in the likeness of Christ and growing in holiness, is a gift of God and every bit a part of your salvation as your justification and forgiveness is. Those whom God called, he also, Paul says, Romans 8.30, those whom God called, those he also what? Justified, those he justified, he also sanctified, sanctified, glorified. He actually skips a step there and says glorified because sanctification is included in that. You aren't glorified by works. You aren't sanctified by works. You're sanctified by God's grace. It's a gift and a part of your salvation in Jesus Christ. You grow and make progress in the Christian life and faith by grace alone as well, just as it was when you first came to Christ. Christian growth, true Christian growth, is not not getting past grace. True Christian growth is not outgrowing grace, not getting past the need of grace. It's actually growing further and further into God's grace. That's what Christian growth really looks like. As believers in Christ, You never grow beyond the need of God's grace in Jesus Christ. The direction of our growth as Christians is specifically growth in grace, the grace of Christ. The second thing to notice here is that true Christian growth, the direction of it, is growth in knowledge. It's growth in knowledge, not not just for its own sake, not trivial knowledge, not just filling your head with things and numbers and dates and whatnot, but You know, surely this implies that we all constantly need to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's word. It should be something we delight to do. I think very, very often, uh, sometimes as Christians, you know, especially if you were brought up in the Christian faith and you've known the Bible from the youngest age, we kind of think we know it already. We kind of think, well, you know, I've read the Bible a number of times. I've heard the sermons every week for 50 years or whatever the case may be. I've kind of checked that box. I don't need to keep reading the word of God. I don't need to grow in my understanding of it. But think about David's words. King David, the man after God's own heart in Psalm 1. What does he say? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, Blessed is the man, that makes our ears perk up. What kind of, what kind of person is blessed? Blessed is the man who what? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But, here's the contrast, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he does what? Meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of God. He delighted in it. And because he delighted in it, he meditated, he thought about it. He prayerfully thought about what does this mean? What does this mean for me? How does this point to Christ? All this kind of stuff is what David is talking about in Psalm 1, the very first psalm, this is where the book of Psalms starts us off, and there's a good reason for that. That's how we were to read the rest of the psalms as well as the rest of the Bible. I think we all want to be that blessed person that verse 1 speaks of, and what's the way to such blessing? Is to avoid the counsel and the way of the wicked and to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate upon it day and night. We all need to grow in the grace and knowledge 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the way to do that is in His Word. How do you come to know Jesus Christ better? Where do you hear the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to you and speaking to us? The Word of God. And the Word of God alone. The Word of God is is where Jesus speaks, where God speaks to us and changes our minds. You know, Paul says in Romans 12 that we are to be what? Uh, by the renewal of our minds, be transformed. How do you renew your mind? By the Word of God. So if you want your life to change, if you want to see God work at you, working in you and transforming your life and changing you more and more into the image of Christ, we need our minds renewed according to the Word of God. And so this morning I'll ask, uh, do you delight in the Word of God? If you do, you'll want to spend time reading it, thinking about it, seeking to understand what God would have us to believe about him and how he would have us live in such a way that's pleasing in his sight in this present world. And you never outgrow your need to grow in the knowledge of Christ. This, you know, when you go to the gas station and you fill your tank, there's a needle and ding, hits top and you're done. Well, of course it goes back down. There's no, there's no, you hit the acceptable limit and now you can stop. And it's not supposed to be a burden. Reading God's word should not be a burden. David isn't cracking the whip and saying, delight in the word of God. Delight. He's saying, delight in it. It should be something you, you, you look forward to spending time in, that you want to learn better because it helps you know your God. It helps you know Jesus Christ more and more. You know, just as you never reach a point in life where you no longer need to eat, even so you never outgrow your need for the word of God. What did Jesus say, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3? In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, Man shall, shall not live by bread alone, but by what? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He doesn't say man doesn't live by bread. He doesn't say he's not some weird Gnostic spiritualist that says, you don't need to eat. You, don't, you can neglect your, your physical life and your physical health. He doesn't, he doesn't say it at all. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? By every word. Every word. Do you know every word of the Bible? I don't. I'm still studying. We all need to study it. We, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's as if it's our food that gives us life for the day ahead. We need the word of God even more than we need to eat. We need to eat, but we need the word of God more than that. We live by the very word of God. And so I, I'll ask this morning, how is your spiritual appetite for the word of God? Don't ever be content with having learned just enough to get by. And how often do professing believers uh, cease spending time in the Word of God at all as if they've somehow arrived or already acquired all the knowledge that we need? I think that's the temptation. Is I, I know enough. I know enough to get by. We have kind of a decisionistic mentality in the church very often. We think, well, I've walked the aisle, I've prayed a prayer, I've got my fire insurance in my back pocket, I'm saved, and that's all that matters. Not, not growing in your knowledge of your Savior and your God. Growing in your knowledge of how God would have you live and what he would have you believe. And that's, that's what we should more and more commit ourselves to doing. The third thing to notice here about Christian growth, true Christian growth, is that it's, it's growth in both grace and knowledge in Christ. The grace and knowledge that we are to grow in is only found in Christ and about Christ. We are to grow in grace and knowledge, and that is to be found those, both those things in Christ alone. We need to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. We need to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And now, 
It's not just knowing about Christ. It includes that. He doesn't say, whatever you think Jesus is, it's fine, just grow in great. No, you need to know about Jesus and where is he revealed in the scriptures. Jesus isn't whatever we think he is, whatever we assume him to be. It's what the Bible tells us he is. Uh, but it's more than just knowing about Christ and growing in knowledge about him. As big a part of it as that is, it's growing in our knowledge of him. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way to grow into maturity as a believer is to grow in Christ, to grow in his grace and grow in our knowledge of him. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Growing in a right understanding of what the Word of God teaches us about God and about the person and work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Uh, even the way that Peter mentions Christ in our text, we could go into detail on that. He, he doesn't just say grow in Christ, he says grow in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's almost like he's giving them things to think about as he's giving them the exhortation. Grow in our understanding of Christ and what he's done for our salvation and what he's even doing now as our Lord, reigning from the right hand of God over all things for his church. There's much room for growth in, in all of us throughout our lives and in our growth in these things. Now, as believers in Christ, we should be as committed as the early Christians were to the outward and ordinary means of grace, which are found primarily in public worship of the gathered church on the Lord's Day. These are things such as the preaching of the Word of God, what we're doing right now, the fellowship of the saints, the breaking of bread, Acts 2.42, which is a reference to the Lord's Supper, uh, the Lord's Supper there, and, and then corporate prayer. That's what the early church in the book of Acts chapter 2 was committed to, devoted themselves to those things, and what happened? They grew. And not just in number, as important as that may be, they grew in maturity and unity and service and grew in the likeness of Christ together. As believers in Christ, we should be committed to those Things. Those are the things that God in His grace has ordained to use for our benefit and for our growth in grace. And so at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, uh, we should be people who are characterized by a commitment to the church, that is to each other, and to public worship together on the Lord's day, diligently attending upon these things. Diligently attending on these things. And Privately also in your families and by yourselves, what can you do? You can spend time in the Word of God and in prayer. Read solid Christian books that will help you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not every book that's called a Christian book is a good Christian book. You can talk to me after the service if you have any questions or or want some recommendations, but everything sold in a Christian bookstore is not uh, something that's going to make you grow in grace and knowledge. But, But seek out good, solid Christian books that help you understand the Bible better. That will help you grow in your knowledge of Christ. If we would see God working and through us as individuals and as a church by his grace this coming year, that's what it looks like. It's not exciting. It's not a big program. It's not something that's going to get anybody's attention on the Internet or advertising. Hey, the means of grace. You know, churches don't often build themselves on those things, uh, but that's what God uses. That's how God works in people's life. Just as the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation, not fancy programs, not flashy anything, it's the message of the gospel that saves sinners. It's the means of grace that God uses to build you up in the faith and make you grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. That's how God works. That's, it's through those things that, you know, to the eyes of the world, those things are nothing. You know, if you, if you were to invite a friend to church, an unsafe friend, and I hope you do that when you get the opportunities, 
you know, if, if you were to, to make an advertising program or an advertising uh, thing for the church, uh, if, and you were to be honest about it, say, hey, the means of grace, we have the Word of God, and we have prayer, and we have the Lord's Supper, and baptism, and, and fellowship, uh, that's not going to gather much, garner much attention, is it? There's nothing exciting about that, but that's how God works. And so we should be careful to think the way God would have us to think on these things. The means of grace are more precious and valuable to us than gold. You know, you think about uh, throughout this letter, commentators have noticed, have, have mentioned, that Peter starts and finishes the letter the same way, with an exhortation to grow in grace. He says in uh, in First Peter chapter 1, he says, For this very reason, uh, verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith or add to your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection or love and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, uh, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same topic. He begins and ends the letter with it. And the part of the verses that I didn't focus on, but we read before we got into the sermon this morning, notice the connection that Paul makes between verse 18 and what went before. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are uh, waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him, by Christ, without spot or blemish, and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them, what, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, he says, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. And then he says, but grow in grace Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So think about that. He's saying there's a connection here. The one thing follows after the other. Don't get carried away by false teaching. Don't get carried away by those who would twist the word of God to their own destruction. And how do you do that? By growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He even mentions Paul's letters. He's saying, you know, Paul, I'm paraphrasing here, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. What do you do when you get to a part of the Word of God, whether Paul's letters or somewhere else, that you don't quite understand and not sure what it means? There's sort of two options. Some twist it to fit what they think already. They twist it in a way that distorts, at times, even the gospel itself, or you can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and seek to learn these things properly. Even Peter, an apostle, says some things that Paul writes aren't easy to understand. But the answer is to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ, that you might understand those things rightly, not follow those who in their doctrine and in their lives twist these things to their own destruction. And so the answer to all these things from front to back is to grow in the grace of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that brings us to the third and last point this morning, not just the duty of growth in grace, not just the direction of growth in grace, but the doxology of growth in grace. Look at the last part of verse 18 where Peter says, at the end of all that, he says, to him, to Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 
And so not only is, is our effort at growth in grace not about merit and earning anything before God, the goal and purpose of all of this, of, of growth in grace, is not selfish gain, it's not pride, it's the glory of God. That's the end goal. That is the main purpose for all these things that Peter says. It's that God might be glorified. The true goal of growth in the Christian life, growth in grace and growth in the knowledge of Christ, the true goal there is the the praise and glory of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it's a pretty all-encompassing statement, Whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. Even eating or drinking. Like, I don't know about you, I don't give that much thought except for what I want to eat or drink. Like, he's saying even eating and drinking can or cannot glorify God. And he gives an example in that context if you read it for yourself. But whatever you do, even something as mundane as eating and drinking can be done to the glory of God. Even in such things as that, we should ask ourselves whether or not it brings glory to God. That should be our goal. And if we're growing in grace more and more, that will be more and more the goal that we have in mind. Even our growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ, because it is growth in grace, and the knowledge of Christ our Savior is unto the glory and praise of God. And so we should strive for holiness, the Bible says. Hebrews twelve fourteen says to strive uh, with peace, for peace and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. It's a difficult passage for some. We should strive for that holiness, but what's the purpose of it? As we seek to grow in the grace of sanctification, all that too is also for the glory of God and not for selfish pride or any other thing. So by the grace of God, may you and I make it our resolution, if you want to use that word, in this new year and always, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and maybe he be pleased to work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure even in these things. And may you and I more and more learn to do this so that to him might be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.